Um, we are continuing in our, in our series, a series of talks today. Uh, we're going through uh, the letter uh, that's found um, on page 1197 in our uh, church Bibles. If you want to uh, open uh, the, the Bible uh, up, so it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 we're looking at today. So hopefully you've all had a chance to find it. We're going to look at the whole of chapter 3 today. Uh, here at St. Peter's, uh, we, we speak in a number of subjects. Sometimes we take themes of Scripture, but often we just go through a book of the Bible. And we've been going through 2 Timothy, and we reach chapter 3 today. And we're going to explore, we're going to open up to see what it says to us this morning. So uh, our Bible reading today is 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconian and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is uh, the word of God. Let's see what it has to say to us today. Well, today I want to speak about the world that we live in and the word that we live by. The world that we live in and the word that we live by. But first, can anyone tell me uh, what this week has been voted by the, the public as the most loved BBC television show of all time? Anyone want to hazard a guess? 
Pardon? No, not the clangers. No, it might be your favorite, Andy. Yeah, but anyone else? Oh, it is. Yes, it is the class. Well done, Helen. It is only fools and horses. And I'm sure many of us would have seen uh, that show. It's got a, a, a number of classic moments. I don't know what your favorite would be. Maybe it's Dell and Rodney running uh, down the high street dressed as Batman and Robin and actually preventing a mugging on the way. Or perhaps uh, it was when they uh, went into a bit of a sideline. They thought they could make a quick book by uh, chandelier cleaning. And uh, that didn't go too well, did it? Uh, or, of course, there's that iconic moment when they're in the trendy wine bar and Del Boy, uh, casual as you like, leans against the bar, which then is put up, and he falls straight onto the floor. I don't know which is your favorite. My favorite is probably uh, Trigger. I love Trigger. Um, uh, he, in one scene, he claims uh, to have had the same road sweeper's broom for 20 years and then adds, and this broom has had 17 new heads and 14 new handles. Um, to which uh, Sid, the, the cafe owner, says, well, well, it isn't the same broom, is it? Upon which Trigger produces a picture of him and his broom and says, what more proof do you need then? <laughs> so um, uh, it was announced uh, this week on the one show that Only Fools and Horses had been voted the most loved TV show of all time. And uh, when it was announced, uh, the presenters shot to... Uh, 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 a scene with Marlene. Remember Marlene from the, the from the sitcom, and uh, and she was being interviewed. It was only a very short interview. It lasted for about a minute and a half. But as she spoke, there was two things that really stood out to me. She said these words, and I quote Marlene here: uh, "In these really rather gruesome times, people are turning to only." fools and horses in these gruesome times. And then when they asked her, can you explain the show's popularity? Um, uh, her response was simple. It doesn't date, does it? It doesn't date, does it? Gruesome times and relevant today. And these are the same two themes that she used to explain the show's popularity, gruesome times and uh, relevant today. And they're also two of the same themes that we see in our first nine verses. So let's uh, go dive straight into the first half of our passage, verses one to nine. And it starts with this, bookmark this. In other words, give your neighbor a gentle elbow, pay attention, wake up, mark this. And then what does Paul say? There will be terrible times in the last days. There'll be terrible times in the last days. This term, the last days, often we can think of it uh, as just referring uh, to the couple of months or maybe the year before uh, Christ, Christians believe that Christ will return in glory. And people think of the last days as just a couple of months or, or the year uh, before his coming. And they refer to that as the last days. But actually, um, Scripture, or the New Testament in particular, uses this phrase, the last days, to describe the time between Christ's resurrection and ascension into heaven and Jesus' second coming. So it's not just a couple of months, but the New Testament uh, uses it to describe almost this huge epoch of history. And so when you hear the phrase, the last days, you should think now. 
now. The last days, now, is this time that we are living in. And it's also the time that Paul and Timothy was living in when this letter was first written. This is why, after describing the people of the last days, so Paul is writing to this younger guy, Timothy, um, and as Paul is writing to Timothy, he describes the last days. And after describing the, 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 the people of the last days, in verses 5, he then goes on to tell Timothy have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with the people of the last days. Now, obviously, he thought it was the last days then. Otherwise, what's the point in saying don't have anything to do with the people that haven't been born for a few uh, couple of centuries? So Paul says that there will be seasons throughout this epoch of history in which times will be terrible. Not all the time, but seasons. And I think what he's particularly speaking of here is not necessarily uh, uh, on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. On a spiritual level, there will be times that are terrible. And we look around us uh, in the world today, we turn on the news, and what do we see? Well, we're living through a global pandemic. We're facing uh, uncertainty about uh, the future. Uh, there's the rising costs of living. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's tensions between nations, China, Russia, NATO. Uh, more people are being plunged into poverty. Uh, we've uh, got rising hostility uh, towards uh, Christianity, uh, particularly in the West, we've seen... Um, uh, an adoption of some lifestyles that are sort of against what, what the Bible would say is the will of God. We've got increased persecution against Christians. And so we might say that we are living in terrible times. I also want to counter this by saying actually there's many things for us to be thankful for. And God says give, give joyful thanks in all circumstances. And so it's right to give thanks to God for his many blessings to us. One of the blessings that I have is seeing you guys being with our church family on a Sunday morning. But on, on another level, we could say that we are living in terrible times. Because if we read verses 1 to 9 again, we can see what kind of picture it paints for us. And in the first five verses alone, there are 19 words or phrases that are used to describe the times that we live in. And this morning, I want to just draw out three of the most salient, the most relevant characteristics. And the first is this, disordered love, disordered love. Of the 19 phrases that we see in the first uh, paragraph, four of them are used, uh, uh, four of them are about disordered love, disordered love. Let's uh, read them together. People will, be, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, not lovers of good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, they're saying that in the last days, people will be self-interested, materialistic, and hedonistic. Think about that for a moment. And yet, at the same time, it feels as if society is getting more and more depressed and unhappy. Now, why might this be the case when we are pursuing materialism, pursuing pleasure, pursuing what works for me? Well, uh, this week uh, at Alpha, uh, uh, it was week two, and we start with this question, what makes you happy? 
What makes you happy? I wonder how you would answer that question. It is not a new question. The, the, the subject of happiness is one that has been wrestled with for millennia. If we go back uh, hundreds of years um, uh, to the 4th century AD, at the age of 19, there was this young man called Augustine Aurelius. Now, he was later to be known as Augustine of Hippo. Augustine of Hippo, as some of you may know, is one of the greatest Christian thinkers. Many people think he's the greatest Christian thinker of all time bar Jesus, of course. And, and at the age of 19, Augustine read a dialogue by the Roman philosopher Cicero. And in it, Cicero uh, stated that every person sets out to be happy, although the majority are thoroughly miserable. Why? Why would this be the case? He says that no one dreams as a child, when I grow up, I really want to be unhappy. And yet many people's lives are filled with conflict and unfulfilled longings and frustration. So Augustine set out, this great thinker, set out to discover why it is that most people end up being discontent. What is the secret to happiness? His conclusion was simply this, that for most of us, our lives are out of order. We have disordered loves. We have disordered loves. Disordered loves basically means the things that we uh, often love um, uh, less than what we should do yeah, are the more important things. So the more important things we often devalue, we love less than what we should do. And yet the things that we love more than what we should do are the things that we've, uh, sorry, I, I didn't say it. Often the things we love less, we often love less important things more than we should do. And more important things we love less than what we should do. So this is the disorder that we have in our loves. And this is the thing that leads to unhappiness in our lives. And we see this in our passage today. And we see this in our times. What are people described as? Let's look at those four things again. People are lovers of self. They love things that shouldn't be loved that much. We shouldn't be so self-interested. We should be cared about those around us. But people are often self-focused. Lovers of self. They're lovers of money. We love things that should be thought of less, but we place them in a high position. People are lovers of pleasure. And they are not lovers of the more important things. They are not lovers of good. And they are not lovers of God. And so what we find in our passage, what we find being true in the lives of people that are unhappy, is that their loves are disordered. I find this in my life. I sometimes realize I have to reorder the loves in my life. And the key to happiness is this reordering of our loves, to love God and goodness more, and to love money and pleasure less. So the first theme is disordered love. What's the second characteristic of these terrible times? It's this, empty religion. Empty religion. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. 
You see, often when we think of these terrible times, we often think of people, you know, maybe out there. And, 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 uh, and that's not the case. We live in a wonderful community. We, 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 there's many uh, blessings around us. But what I want to say is that the church is not immune uh, to the influences of the society we live in. It's like the, 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 the story of the, the fog being cooked to death by turning up the, the heat. We, we don't realize the temperature rise. We don't realize how these things can seep into our lives. When we need to be on constant guard and willing to examine ourselves to see whether the things described in this passage have also polluted our lives. Whether we too have become merely lovers of pleasure. Pleasure lovers want to enjoy life rather than seek holiness. One international uh, speaker recently observed that um, when he goes to a Western conference to, to speak, often the, the people gathered there want to have talks on the subjects of like, how can I cope with stress? But then when he travels to the areas in the world where Christians are facing extreme persecution, they want to have seminars on how to be godly, how to live holy lives. As Hugh Palmer, uh, a former rector uh, in London, once remarked, if pleasure is my idol, then comfort will be my gospel. If pleasure is my idol, then comfort will be my gospel. But such a gospel is of no lasting value to us. Many of you would have heard of the name C.S. Lewis, he was a, an Oxford academic and also a, a famous author. And he wrote these words, If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you will end up with neither comfort nor truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. You see, the descriptions that we find in our passages are not really to do with what people look like on the out, outside. We all can scrub up good. It's what people are like on the inside. And I need to challenge myself with these words. And if it finds a, 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 a home in the church, we are left with empty religion. As the Bible says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And we need to examine our own hearts and reorder our own loves and refuse to allow uh, the things in society to seep into the church. Disordered love, empty religion, and third, confusion about the truth. Confusion about the truth. Those of you who have been following the Winter Olympics may have seen uh, overnight, uh, over the weekend, there's been lots of confusion about the truth. The uh, Australian... Um, what do you call it, curling team. Uh, they were doing a hokey-cokey. First they were in, they were allowed to do it. Uh, then uh, they were out um, because their PCR tested positive, so they were told they weren't allowed to participate. Then they were back in again, um, and so they were doing the in, out, in, out. Uh, and eventually, they didn't shake it all about, they actually won uh, their first game. So despite all this confusion, they managed to win their first game, the Australian uh, team did. So confusion about the truth. Verses 6 to 9 describe uh, people, that, and so we're on to our second paragraph now, that, that seek to influence weak-willed people with false ideas and untruths. And then in verse 7, we hear this very sad phrase. It describes a people that are always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Always learning, 
never able to acknowledge the truth. And this is a mark of our current cultural climate. People call it postmodernism. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Never before has there been so much information available to us. It's been an information explosion, and yet we are more confused than ever. And people are rejecting the concept of universal truth. As the title of uh, one of the Manic Street Preachers album puts it, this, I'm showing my age now, this is my truth, tell me yours. This is my truth, tell me yours. Yet there is such a thing as objective and universal truth, and one day we will all meet him. As Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. And you, you really are my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Wow. Who wants freedom? I want freedom. Who wants happiness? I want happiness. This word uh, is relevant to us today. Disordered love, empty religion, and confusion about the truth. This is the world in which we live in. Following the, the words of Marlene again, I know she was talking about Odin Falls' horses, but she said, these are really rather gruesome times. Perhaps spiritually we too can think that this is the case. And then, obviously she was talking about Odin Falls' horses, but I'm going to borrow them. And she says, it doesn't date, does it? This book doesn't date, does it? It's as relevant to us today as when it was first written. We, as the church of Jesus, are called to be different. We're called to be free. We're called to be happy. We're called to have ordered love. We're called to have vibrant, living, powerful, holy faith. We're called to have commitment and clarity regarding the truth of Scripture. The world that we live in. Second, the, world, the word that we live by, the word that we live by. So the first uh, couple of paragraphs, uh, the first half of our passage describe the world that we live in. Let's unpack the second half, and it reminds us of the word that we live by, the word that we live by. So Paul begins uh, by reminding us that we can be inspired by, but also we can be an inspiration to others by the way we live our lives. Not lovers of pleasure, but lovers of God. So let's see, verse 10. It starts with these words. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. And then later in verse 14, we read this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. You know those from whom you've learned it. A little bit of a, uh, an aside. This is why it's sometimes dangerous just to find your, your, your teaching, your input from anyone on the internet because you do not know those from whom you've learned it. By being here in person today, you get to live alongside me. We open our homes to you. You get to know those from whom you have learned it. In the, in the original language of the text, both verses, verse 10 and verse 14, begins with the same two Greek words. It was written originally in Greek. Uh, and the two words that both these verses begin with was this, su-di, su-di. These little 
two monosyllables crystallize this letter. In in this letter, they appear four times. In this passage, they appear twice. Sudi, and it simply means this, but as for you, but as for you, it is a call of the, it is a call for the church of Jesus Christ to be different. But as for you, do not yield to the pressures of public opinion. Do not allow the world to, to, to force us into its own, own mold. Do not conform to the spirit of this age, but stand firm on the truth of God. Be distinctly Christian. The world that we live in is described in verses 1 to 9. And in verse 10, what's it say? But as for you, Sue D. Verse 13, we read a description of the world. Evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, in the Greek, the word here is propkopsusin, propkopsusin, which means to advance. It carries with it a sort of sense of progression, of, of getting on the right side of history, of, of moving with the times. This is the, this is the progression. This is the, the sort of getting with the times that Scripture calls as nothing more than the deception of evil men and impostors. And in the, in the face of such a call to, come on, we've got to move with the times. What are the very next words in verse 14? But as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. But as for you, Sudi, remain in, abide with, continue in what you have learned. Remain true to this book that doesn't age its meaning remains. The world that we live in may be terrible on a spiritual level, but as for us, we will live by the word. The world that we live in and the word that we live by. It is by the word, the very words of God, that we live and we live by. What do I mean by that phrase, live by? Live by in two uh, phrases, uh, two senses of the phrase. Live by because through this word, salvation, eternal life, is revealed to us. Secondly, live by because this word shapes our conduct and our character. So the word of God is powerful and effective for salvation and transformation. It's effective to save us and it's able to change us into the people that we all long to be more like Jesus. And the scripture reveals to us that salvation is found only through faith in Jesus. Verse 13, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture points us to faith in Christ Jesus. And secondly, and we've really come to an end on this now, secondly, Scripture is inspired by God. The Word of God, it says here, every word in this book, it says, is God-breathed. 
So God has breathed it out by his spirit. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture, in other words, it says here in verse 16, is not only able to, to save us, it's able to transform us. We can be set free to become the people that we want to be. People free from emptiness. People free from loneliness. People free from guilt. People free from the fear of death. People free from deep-seated insecurity. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. What a wonderful word that we live by. It's able to save us. It's able to transform us. The word that points us to salvation, a word that sets us free and brings us lasting joy. Shall we pray? Now to end, I just thought I would uh, borrow a prayer of the late John Stott, the author and rector of all souls, Langham uh, Place. And he would often pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. Your spirit, our teacher. And your greater glory, our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.